Hi, everyone. My name is Asha Evans, and I am the family pastor at the Elm City Vineyard Church, and I am so glad that you are able to join with us today. I also want to just thank Pastor Josh. I want to thank Shirley and others who were able to gather last night in lament and in listening to God. Thank you for doing that. I do want to say that today, if you have felt a blessing of light or of love, if you have felt um, a sacred space of peace or of being held, I want to suggest to you that that might be the fruit of some very special prayers that were prayed over the city of New Haven this morning by many of the kids in our Sprouts ministry. They um, took a hike, we took a hike this morning up to the top of East Rock, extended our hands in blessing over the cities that we could see, and just asked for more um, more of God, more of God's light, more Jesus, more goodness, uh, more provision, more rescue for all of us. So um, I am grateful for that. In that spirit of blessing, I just want to open us with a word of prayer as well. God, we put ourselves right now before you. We open ourselves to receive the blessing that you have for us today. God, would you do whatever work needs to be done to overcome um, any obstacles, whether they are within us or whether they are uh, outside of us, so that we could be people who receive from you today. We need that and we want that. We thank you, God, for your presence and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was little... My mom used to tell me a story from her childhood. Part of her childhood was spent in North Carolina where her mom and dad, my grandparents, had a chicken farm. My mom is one of four children and they were often set to work around the farm helping with chores. They would have to help feed the chickens. They would gather the eggs from the layers laying chickens, you know what I mean, Um, and just help with other chicken-related chores. There was one chore, however, that really stood out to my mom, and this was when she would need to help my grandpa as he slaughtered the chickens. And I want to apologize right now to Sophia or any other chicken-loving friends we have in the crowd today for this graphic account. (laughs) But basically... My grandpa would chop the heads off of the chickens, but the body of the chicken continues running for a little while, even headless, without its head. And so it was my mom and her sister, it was their job to chase... (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) mom, if you're watching, I love this story. They would have to chase the headless chickens and collect them so that then the chickens could be plucked and readied to be sold. I'm realizing now I might have, I should have put like a content warning on this sermon. (laughs) Um, But imagine me as a little child, right, hearing this story with a mixture of like disgust and horror, but also kind of like eerie fascination and amazement, right? My mom chased headless chickens when she was little. My mom is a headless chicken hunter. That's so cool. Now, some of the awe has faded from this story, but what remains is this sense of pride 
my mom contributed to the work of her family, even when she was little, courageously, even when it meant running after mostly dead chickens. I'm descended from that woman. Now, that may be a silly story, but there were, of course, other stories that were told to me by my parents, other stories of courage and risk, immigrating to a new country and finding yourself thrown into American college life, sometimes rising, sometimes sinking. Being the only one in a classroom who couldn't speak the language when your parents decide to move to Belgium after the war. Creating friendships across cultures and generations. My dad, a small, brown, first-generation college kid from Mumbai going fishing with my grandpa, a big, white, former chicken farmer, veteran, welder, son of a coal miner from Pennsylvania, finding shared love and joy in the outdoors. I could go on. Things were planted in me because of these stories things that have stayed with me and have contributed to the person that I am now and the person that I'm becoming. These stories have connected me with my family, helping me understand where I've come from. Some of us here might also have stories like these that connect us with a sense of pride, a sense of goodness. But maybe some of us also have stories that connect us not to pride or to courage, but to pain and to trauma and to shame. I have some of those stories too. And for some of us, we may have little to no connection at all through stories like these. Stories and even the absence of stories can be significant to us when thinking about how we're connected to others in this life. We have been in a series called Drawing Near, the blood that opens a new and living way in the book of Hebrews. In our journey uh, through these scriptures, we are coming today to one of my favorite sections, Hebrews chapter 11, often called the Hall of Faith. Here we find story after story from the lives of the people of God. Some get a few verses, some a whole paragraph, some just a phrase, and there are countless more that go unnamed here. But why here? Why now? Why include all these reminders and stories? The author of Hebrews has been delivering a powerful message to the people of God, a message of exhortation, a message of warning, a message of hope. The way has been made for us to draw near to God. The sacrifice of Jesus made once for all spilled blood that cleanses, that tears the veil, that invites us into the throne room of God. This is the way, to quote the Mandalorian. We find in this way that not only is the invitation to draw near to God as he is drawn near to us, but also to one another. And that in this drawing near, we are not alone. We are among a people. As we read in Hebrews 10, verse 39, But we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and are saved. The author wants to remind the listeners that they are among a people, that they belong to the family of faith. They are not alone. They belong to a people, a people that has clung to faith, that has courageously pressed on even in the face of suffering. As Josh talked about last week, suffering 
in which God was near to them. This is where the author of Hebrews chooses to introduce the stories of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So rather than me reading this chapter to you, I invited some folks from our community of faith to read them to us today. Here is Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is being sure of what we do not see. That is what the people of long ago were praised for. We have faith so we understand that everything was made when God commanded it. That's why we believe that what we see was not made of what we, it could be seen. Abel had faith, so he brought to God a better offering than Cain did. Because of his faith, Abel was praised as a godly man. God said good things about his offerings. Because of his faith, Abel still speaks. He speaks even though he is dead. Enoch had faith, so he was taken from this life. He didn't die. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. Before God took him, Enoch was praised as one who pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that He exists, and they must believe that He rewards those who look to Him. Noah had faith, so he built an ark to save his family. He built it because of his great respect for God. God had warned him about things that could not yet be seen. Because of his faith, Noah showed the world that it was guilty. Because of his faith, he was considered right with God. Abraham had faith, so he obeyed God. God called him to go to a place he would later receive as his own. So he went. He did it even though he didn't know where he was going. Because of his faith, he made his home in the land God had promised him. Abraham was like an outsider in a strange country. He lived there in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob. They received the same promise he did. Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations. He was waiting for the city that God planned and built. Yay! And Sarah had faith. So God made it possible for her to become a mother. She became a mother even though she was too old to have children. But Sarah believed that the God who made the promise was faithful. Abraham was past the time when he could have children, but many children came from that one man. They were as many as the stars in the sky. They were as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. No one could count them. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things God had promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a long way off. They openly said that they were outsiders and strangers on earth. People who say things like that show that they are looking for a country of the world. What if they were thinking of the country they had left? Then they could have returned to it. Instead, they longed for a better country. They wanted a heavenly one. So God is pleased when they call him their God. In fact, he has prepared a city for them. Abraham had faith. So when God tested him, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
Abraham had held on tightly to the promises, but he was about to offer his one and only son. God had said to him, your family line will continue through Isaac. Even so, Abraham was going to offer him up. Abraham did this because he believed that God could even raise the dead. In a way, he did receive Isaac back from death. Isaac had faith, so he blessed Jacob and Esau. He told them what was ahead for them. Jacob had faith, so he blessed each of Joseph's sons. He blessed them when he was dying. Because of his faith, he worshiped God. Jacob worshiped as he leaned on the top of his walking stick. Joseph had faith, so he spoke to the people of Israel about how they would leave Egypt someday. When his death was near, he spoke about where to bury his bones. Moses' parents had faith, so they hid him for three months after he was born. They saw he was a special child. They were not afraid of the king's command. Moses had faith, so he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This happened after he had grown up. Moses chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. The people of Israel had faith. They passed through the Red Sea. They went through it as if it were dry land. The Egyptians tried to do it also, but they drowned. Israel's army had faith, so the walls of Jericho fell down. It happened after they had marched around the city for seven days. Rahab, the prostitute, had faith, so she welcomed the spies. That's why she wasn't killed with those who did not obey God. How much more do I need to say? I it would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overtook kingdoms ruled by justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received back their dead. The dead were raised to life again. There were others who were made to suffer greatly, but they refused to be set free. They did this so that after death, they would be raised to an even better life. Some were made fun of and even whipped. Some were held by chains. Some were put in prison. Some were killed with stones. Some were sawed in two. Some were killed by swords. They went around wearing the skins of sheep and goats. They were poor. They were attacked. They were treated badly. 
The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves. They lived in holes in the ground. All these people were praised because they had faith, but none of them received what God had promised. That's because God had planned something better for us, so they would only be made perfect together with us. Wow. Thank you to all who contributed to that video. And if we do nothing else today uh, in the service, I think it has been worth it just to hear those words read to us and read <clears throat> over us as a community. Some of us might be thinking, these stories are great, but they aren't my stories. I know the stories of my family, and maybe there are some stories of faith there, but maybe there aren't. And here is what I want to say to all of us. That way that has been made for, us, made for us by Jesus, it is a way that opens up a whole new life that stretches out before us to eternity, expansive. But it also sends a shockwave backward in our lives because it grafts us into a new ancestry as well. These stories are our stories now. The primary connection that the people from these stories have is not found in their shared blood, but in Jesus' shed blood. It's a thread that meanders not through DNA, but through devotion. The Bible speaks of this new family, this new belonging through faith in many ways. In the Gospel of John, an account of Jesus' life, we read this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or man's will, but born of God. In Romans, this new family of God is described like branches that are grafted into an existing tree. Grafting is this ancient practice that the audience would have been familiar with, where a branch from one tree is connected to the rootstock of another tree. And the two parts heal together and form something new. The life of the tree, the nutrients taken in by the roots, now flow into the more recently connected branch. And the two different trees now have the same source and lifeblood. We, the family of God, are connected to one another and to these ancient stories with the same lifeblood. When I first heard stories about Jesus and began putting my faith in him, it felt um, surprising and scandalous and a little crazy. I was beginning to believe in God, and not only that, I was beginning to believe in a person, a particular person, who lived thousands of years ago, who made particular claims about himself and God, and who lived in a particular way, and who is now thought to be, after having been killed and buried, and apparently whose death has major implications for my particular life, he is now supposedly alive and through the Spirit of God running around at work in the world. This seemed all a little much for me. I remember meeting other people in the college fellowship group that I was a part of, and I would, I would whisper to them in hushed tones, like, so you believe it too, right? Like, like all of it, you believe it too? 
This faith seemed um, both outrageous and essential, and it connected me to people in a way that I hadn't known before. Increasingly, I found myself among a people of faith, and I began to take these stories of faith, stories that went far beyond my little faith community in America, stories that went back across the world to all the corners of the earth and back to Hebrews 11, to the heroes of the faith. Was I among these people too? The answer, according to the author of Hebrews, is yes, Yes, we are among the people who have faith. And not only that, but this belonging, this being among, changes us. Look at what it says again in verse 39. We are among those who have faith, and so are saved. This is a belonging, a being among that leads to life with God. This leads to flourishing. This leads to the goodness that God wants for us, and that leads to even more faith. When we think of faith, when I think of faith, I can often think of those of great faith. These were the giants of faith after all. Those whose, did you hear what we just read? Those whose faith moved mountains, whose faith raised the dead, that remained steadfast time and time again. And to be honest, when I think of that kind of faith, I'm not always encouraged. It's really hard to see myself in this company With my small amount of faith, I have not yet routed any armies, nor have I shut the mouths of lions as far as I know. But I do remember Jesus' words about faith, that even the smallest bit holds enormous potential. Faith the size of a mustard seed, that he always seemed to be calling out faith in those around him urging them to trust him, to put their faith in him, to, like the author of Hebrews describes, have the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. How does that kind of faith feel to you right now? Can you identify with these people of faith like like Abraham who set out not knowing where he was going? Or Jacob whose faith was in giving a blessing at the end of his life? Or does your faith look like Moses who chose to share in the sufferings of others? Or like Rahab who courageously welcomed people she was not supposed to welcome? We've taken time over the course of this series to reflect back on the ways that we've been shaped in the past year by a global pandemic, by the ongoing outcry for racial justice in our country, by the weight of suffering and isolation and loss that so many of us and those around us have experienced and honestly that we continue to experience. And it's been good and right to do that. And today, I want to keep doing that. I want to reflect back on this past year, but I want to ask us, what are the stories of faith? What has faith looked like in this past year? Where did you have assurance of things hoped for? Where were you convinced of unseen realities? 
And as we do this, I want us not necessarily to take this time to think of all of our faithless times, because we may certainly have those too. But of the times of faith, even the smallest little bits of it, because it's those small little seeds of faith, those things that might seem so tiny to us, that God is committed to growing. Before we, before we take this time to reflect, let me give you a quick story about gardening. My family will laugh listening to this. I am not a great gardener. Um, I kill most of my houseplants. I love them, but I kill them, like without exception. And I love growing things outside in our yard, but I'm not very good at that either. But last fall, I decided I would do something that I had never done before. I would plant bulbs in the ground. I always think of this in the spring when I see the crocuses and daffodils coming up, like now. And I think to myself, I wish I had crocuses and daffodils in my yard. I should plant some. But you know, you don't plant them in the spring when you're thinking about it. You got to plant them in the fall when you're thinking about Halloween costumes and carving pumpkins and who to buy Christmas presents for. <sighs> but for some reason, I thought about uh, this year during a pandemic, I thought I should go out and buy some bulbs and get them in the ground before it freezes by any means necessary. And so by faith, I planted bulbs. Then this curious thing happened. I mostly forgot about them. Through the dark of the winter, the cold of December, the freezing, the sleet, the feet of snow, December, January, February. But every once in a while, I would walk through my yard, past the places where I had deposited them, and I would think, something was planted here. There might even be something growing underneath the ground that I can't see right now. Maybe one day, in the spring, a year from now, two years from now, who knows how long these things take, it will poke through and I will see it. I didn't always remember. And even on the days I did think about those bulbs, I was often skeptical. They probably all got eaten by critters. They're surely just rotting under there or frozen to death. Or surely I must have done it wrong and these will end up dead like my houseplants. I judged the quality of the bulbs that I'd purchased in the discount aisle at Aldi's. Asha, you couldn't even spring for real bulbs. You're an imposter gardener. <laughs> there was absolutely no sign of life that was apparent to me. And then one day it happened, just a week ago. A strange little sprout, I'd never seen this kind before, popped up. And then another and another. And now when I walk in my yard, I can see these little green spears poking up through the hard ground all over. They might still get frozen. I could still kill them. <laughs> they might get eaten by animals, dug up by squirrels. Heck, my own kids could probably trample them. But all I can think of is that, that all that time when I couldn't see anything there, they were underground, alive, somehow, waiting. I think that faith can be like that. 
I think it can be so small, like a bulb or a seed, and so mysterious. And it can take time to blossom. But that it can also get planted when we don't expect it. And maybe it's actually still surviving, even when there's no visible evidence of it. Maybe for the audience of the book of Hebrews, faith was being planted in them through their times of deep, deep darkness and suffering. Maybe faith was nurtured as they remembered the stories of faith that had gone before them and in whose company they were now counted. Again, where did you see faith this past year? Where are you still waiting for it to grow? Where might it have been planted when you least expected it? And what were the stories of faith that you saw around you, that inspired you, that helped you to see what is unseen? We're going to take a few moments to just really reflect on that. I want to give us space in this time right now. If you have a journal, a piece of paper, if you want to take notes in your phone, I encourage you. Think about what are those specific seeds? What are those places where you saw faith grow? So let's take a moment to do that. Thanks for taking that time to reflect. Where did a seed of faith show up for you? Was it the seed of faith that it took to actually text a friend a celebration? The seed of faith that got you out of bed or into non-Zoom pants? The seed of faith that it took for you to say, it's okay to lay down this burden with Jesus? The seed of faith to ask someone to pray for you or the seed of faith it took to pray for someone else? Was it a seed of faith when you believed that God just might meet you in grief, in loneliness, in anger, in exhaustion? Was there a seed of faith when you showed up as you are, even though you didn't know what to say? 
Was there a seed of faith when you practiced a spiritual discipline of silence, of journaling, of reading your Bible? Did faith get planted when you refrained from that comment on social media? Or was it when you courageously posted what you really thought? Or maybe was it there when you made the decision to stop scrolling altogether? Maybe it was a seed of faith that was present when you decided to celebrate something. Or when you gave yourself room to grieve, having faith that God would meet you in both. I read this week that seeds contain the history of all the trees or plants that have come before them. I think our seeds of faith might contain the faith of those that have gone before us and of those around us. I had the chance this week to be part of some Zoom prayer meetings. We do what we can in a pandemic, right? In one, I was the one being prayed for. In another, it was someone else. After the prayer meeting for me, one of the folks who was there wrote to me and said, that was so good for my faith because I said to myself, I worship the same God Asha does. Then a few days later, I was gathered via Zoom to pray for someone and I came away with the same thought about someone else. Thank you, Lord, for this person's faith. I want more of that. This week, this day, who could you pray with? Who could you ask to pray for you? Whose celebration or story of faith could encourage you today? I think as we close today, I would just like to encourage us with eyes to see what is unseen. As the author of Hebrews notes of Moses, right? he was the one who could see what was unseen. And to long for that which is beyond even what our eyes can see, as so many of these stories tell us. These were people who were longing for a different kingdom, looking forward to a heavenly home, a restoration, and a belonging. I want to close us by reading a passage actually from 1 Peter chapter 1 that speaks to so many of these longings and unseen realities. And I encourage you, even at home right now, just to close your eyes, maybe open your hands, and just receive these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May it be. Amen. We have the um, opportunity to take communion together as we do every Sunday. And we take communion not just as individuals, um, but today I want us to think about all the billions of people around the world, churches who have labored and struggled here in the United States for centuries, communities of people through the Americas, churches and house churches meeting throughout Asia and the Middle East, families of believers saying yes to God in Africa, and so many more. You are not among those who shrink back to destruction, but among those who have faith to the saving of their souls. Jesus, you have made the way for us. You have planted faith. And even now for those who are watching and maybe for for some of us for whom faith is new, would you extend the invitation now to be caught up in this great story and in the stories of people who have gone before us? As we receive communion today, as we take the juice and the bread and are reminded of your story of faith, remembering and honoring your story of sacrifice, your shed blood, that opens a new and living way for us. Jesus, plant a new seed of faith in us today. Amen.